Hey guys, it's Patricia. Welcome back to the Bad Chinese Teacher Podcast and this surprise bonus episode. Uh, I know I had mentioned last week that this week's episode was supposed to be the Ask Me Anything, but life happens. Fortunately, this time it is a good life happening. Um, I was planning on recording this episode Sunday night after getting back from a weekend at Harvard Model Congress with 15 of my students. Was totally planning on just looking through all your questions and formulating some answers on the bus ride back, and then sitting down, hitting record, and just going at it and having it ready for the next morning. But you know, I should know this about myself by now, but I tend to overestimate my own abilities a lot, and so that didn't exactly happen as planned. But I'm kind of glad that, regardless of that not panning out. Um, to be able to kind of do this little bonus episode is really, honestly, guys, it's really more for me than it is for anyone else because I don't know. It's been a really special weekend.、Um, believe it or not, I actually sat down to record this episode about two hours ago.、Um, was planning on having it done by you know by by Monday night and then be able to pump it out by like you know nine o'clock or so, and then more stuff happened. <laughs> And so we'll just go with the flow, guys. I feel like this has kind of been the spirit of this podcast. I was asked by a friend a couple of weeks ago what the reason was for doing this. Like, you know, considering how <laughs> busy and disorganized I am, and doing another project like this was really not something that really ought to have happened. And I think I just like said something along the lines of like, you know, my twenties are passing me fast by faster than I thought. And my career is passing me by faster than I thought. I just really needed a way, selfishly, to record what was happening every week,、um, what was happening around me in my life, as well as what was happening in my brain, things of that nature. And so I feel like this kind of bonus episode is really emblematic of that. So that's what I'm saying. This this is really more for me than it is for you. But I am glad that I get to share in. This with you anyway, because it really was a really special weekend. And so, anyway, let's kind of start at the beginning.、Uh, Harvard Model Congress took 15 kids to this conference again for the second time.、Uh, you know, Wednesday onwards, and we stayed all the way through Sunday. For some context,、um, you know, well, really, all the context you need about Model Congress, you could probably just go back to the two episodes that I did with my high school friends about Model Congress. Just listen to that, and you'll probably get more context than you'll ever need. But I started the Model Congress program at my current school three years ago, kind of for a bunch of reasons. The chiefest of which was, again, selfishly, I just really liked doing Model Congress in high school. I was like, let's do it again now that I'm a teacher and get to, like, you know, basically be a high school student for the rest of my life. Um, so that was part of the reason, but the other part of the reason was kind of an institutional decision. It was、um, me and my administration kind of trying to figure out, like, because at the time I was kind of involved in diversity things and diversity,、uh, community diversity efforts, and like politics kind of overlap with each other in interesting and awkward and. Yet, kind of beautiful ways, and so we're talking about like you know how to further engage kids with the issues,、um, you know, the person-to-person issues that are integral in doing diversity work,、uh, and while also like you know giving kids space to engage with these issues in a way that felt safe, where they didn't feel like they're you know they had to be overly personal in their. 
you know, for lack of a better term, activism in the school. And Model Congress seemed to be kind of like a natural progression into that, if only because it's a super nerdy club where you, where students are, have to really work to formulate, um, not just, you know, rhetorical, you know, opinions on, you know, hot takes on politics, basically, which really, I feel like has come to define how we think about politics nowadays. But really, it forces high school students to sit down and consider the hows of an issue rather than the whys or even the whats. Um, when you do a bill in Model Congress, uh, it's not really like a position paper on like, you know, here's an important issue and here's how I feel about it and here's why you should agree with me. It's really more kind of like, here's an issue. What is the best way for us to address this issue in a way that can allow for room for compromise, allow for room for multiple op- uh, opinions to be heard and to be represented? All of those things all at once. Um, and that is really difficult, right? It's difficult for real life Congress to do that. It's difficult for high school students to do that. But we found at that time that that was exactly what our school kind of needed, even though no one really asked for it. And so... Model Congress at my school was therefore born. And um, as a student who did Model Congress in high school, I was really looking forward to the day where I could take students to Harvard Model Congress because it was my favorite conference as a high school student. Um, it's the largest conference, lar- largest Model Congress conference, uh, I think, that's held. I think it has like about 1,500 students that come. Um, to the point that, and I didn't know this until I became a teacher that uh, that led Model Congress trips, but like... Um, Harvard Model Congress is so big that there are clubs at other schools that are literally called HMC Club, where the only conference they attend is Harvard Model Congress. So kids prepare all year long for this. Now, my school doesn't exactly do this because we have the luxury of, number one, having Yale University 30 minutes down the road. And so they have their own Model Congress conference that we take like a butt ton of kids to. Like basically a quarter of our high school goes. It's pretty insane. Um, and then we have Columbia Model Congress, which is in New York. So like opposite direction for us. Um but Harvard Model Congress was something that I really look forward to taking kids on since the very beginning. It, again, because it held so many special memories for me um, and also was just such a place of tremendous growth. I did Harvard Model Congress three years in a row. I did it my sophomore, junior, and senior year. Sophomore year, I was part of what was then called Press Corps. It's now called HMC Media because apparently, I don't know, media changes once you discover the internet but um but even when I was a high school sophomore I knew that I like had an interest in doing journalism and being a part of press corps was just so much fun and really at the time it really felt like being in a real life newsroom while you were you were really like um you know held to deadlines had to write with a spin a political spin because there was like a conservative and a liberal paper you were put on beats and the and the chairs for that I mean you know the chairs for the entire conference are Harvard undergraduates which is really impressive in itself but um you had folks who wrote for or edited for the harvard crimson um i remember that one year one of the the junior staffers um was a sophomore who was the founder of i don't know if it exists anymore but it was called on harvard time and it was basically like the daily show except for harvard um 
to be able to interact face to face with uh, Harvard students, you know, you know, undergraduates, but still folks who were just so heavily invested, not just in the subject matter, but also uh, were willing to devote an entire weekend to mentoring and leading high school students. Because really, Model Congress, if you're familiar with Model UN, um, it's not dissimilar, but Model Congress is really only held with high school students, but they're hosted by universities. And so what that basically means is that like these university students never really get to go to a collegiate model. Model Congress Conference, like they're not complete competing on the collegiate level, but the organization exists solely to, in a, in a sense, serve and mentor high school students. And that makes that learning environment super, super special. And so I got to experience that as a student three times as a high school student. Once, you know, again, sophomore year, I did press court and then junior and senior year, I did something called district court, which to most people is really what most people know as mock trial it's just called district court at um at model congress at harvard model congress because well i don't know reasons um but very similar to mock trial if you're familiar with that and so with district court it's a team of six students you have to compete as a team rather than as an individual you're given three cases to prepare you're given which uh, side you're arguing and then within that the team of six students gets to decide who which three students get to play attorneys which three students get to play witnesses I personally was always a witness because I was a very non-confrontational and very quiet and very nervous high school student who did not want to be the one you know like hammering witnesses with cross direct questions or handling objections or basically be put on the spot for anything so um, my passive personality even with that, you know, I still found a real home in doing district court. Um, I'll talk a little bit about what that meant to me later. But anyway, I had so many personal growth experiences associated with Harvard Model Congress as a student. And then to be able to bring 15 students this year, eight students last year, and then 15 students this year to basically you know, in my mind, this is I'm pretty naive, but it's like to, to bring them into the same experience that I did to say, like, you know, basically my basis for this was like, hey, I grew as a person tremendously um, at this one conference as a student. And I have this, you know, totally unfounded faith that this exact same thing will happen to you. So, hey, let's spend money and let's go. And that was really the basis of, of why we went. I mean, I guess you can do that sort of thing at a smaller private school. Um, I'm grateful that things can work on such a earnest level where I work. But um, but that's basically what happened. And so I took these 15 kids. And I say all of this, um, you know, in this kind of nonchalant way. But to be honest, guys, with 1,500 kids at one conference, competition is really tough. It's a hard conference to, to to win an award at. Awards at Model Congress conferences tend to be quite subjective, which is actually really a good thing because it's not like you're, you know, tallying points for anything like you would for a lot of other debate things. Um, really, when they judge awards at Model Congress, really any conference, but Harvard as well, um, they're looking at the kids quite holistically, right? It's not just the kid who they're not counting up, you know, oh, this kid spoke the most times or this kid had the most, I don't know, this the best bill by some quantitative measure. So therefore they win an award, but they're really looking for individuals. And more importantly, um, they're looking for growth throughout the conference, which is a funny thing because these conferences last no more than four days. And so how much growth can happen in four days? Mm, you'd be surprised. Um, but I, I'm just so impressed by how these model congress conferences really pr 
prioritize their educational mission. I benefited from that. And to be honest, a lot of the college students who come back to staff and, um, you know, organize these conferences, they do it because they also benefited from, from it as high school students. And so that kind of generational legacy is so important to how education as an institution runs today. And it's the reason why so many of us as educators wake up in the morning and do what we do, to be honest. Um, but anyway, I took 15 kids to this conference. Um, knowing full well that it was a challenging conference and that it's a conference that notoriously, because it's so large, students have the tendency to kind of like, you know, easily fade into the background, right? Um, at a lot of conferences, you can expect committee sizes to be no larger than like 15 students. Um, at Harvard, those committee sizes could easily be double that size or triple. And so given that, right, you you think mathematically, how much speaking time could you possibly get? Mm, not a ton. Um, and if you don't have that much speaking time, how do you stand out in the middle of the crowd? Mm, really hard. And so... When you go and take kids into these conferences, you never make want to make them feel like, you know, you're wasting their time or they're kind of like seeing other people succeed and they're they're just kind of sitting in the background. And so awards are awards. And you want to be wary of overemphasizing, um, you know, winning as a means to an uh, as, as kind of the ultimate ends to any conference. But it's always nice. And so we came out of this conference five days, um, took 15 kids. 10 kids won awards, two thirds, two thirds of my group won an award at this conference that even when I was in high school, people were like, yeah, don't expect to win an award at this because you'll just drown. 10 kids. Um, Not again, not to say that like, you know, awards are everything. But one of the things that I was so worried about with doing Model Congress coming from a small school, coming from a Christian school that, you know, It prioritizes really important things, but competition, academic competition is not necessarily one of them. Um, Always being so afraid that when I took these kids to these conferences, on the one hand, I'd always be like, I want you guys to experience this because it changed my life. And on the other hand, being so scared that I was bringing them into this, what feels like an almost literal lion's den full of really competitive high school kids who will eat you alive if you show any sort of intellectual weakness. Um, I was so scared that my smartest kids from my school would go have their intellect and their abilities be put to the test and then realize that, you know, or, or be made to believe that they were dumber than they thought, you know? Um, I feel like every kid who does this kind of thing probably has that moment where they go into a room of really smart kids and they feel really stupid. I certainly did. Um, it's almost to the point where, you know, I model Congress, obviously, in college as well, like where it actually matters. Um, and I was just so afraid that my kids would get so discouraged because, you know, not just not only because they wouldn't win anything, but because they would be in a room full of really smart kids and would feel really stupid. Um so for them to win these awards is important because it validates something important to them in that like you know these kids know that they go to a small school and they know like while they be they would be really considered very very bright in the small school I think that if you go, if you've ever been in a small school environment and you've, you know, had your abilities validated there, there's always something in the back of your mind that always says, yeah, but does this really count outside? As a teacher at the school, I think I had this doubt as a lot as well. Um, knowing from my colleagues and my community that, you know, they kept telling me that I was doing a really good job. And I'm just like, yeah, you're saying that, but also I'm the only Chinese teacher here. And I don't think y'all know any better, <laughs> you know, like, like literally. 
literally, I'm the only Chinese teacher you've had that's lasted at the school for more than a year and a half. Like, what basis do you have to compare? You're literally comparing me to nothing, right? So obviously, even if I were a total like incompetent idiot, you would be obligated to say I was doing a good job. Like, y'all have no idea. Um, me super cynical way of looking about it. this is not healthy. I'm not endorsing this line of thinking any in any way, but I think it, everyone comes to a point where they really doubt their abilities and they. I don't know, need something to, you know, to to kind of measure themselves up to and say, okay, even in a place where the rules are different, I can still do this much. And so I don't want to be that advisor, that teacher who like counts up awards and says you are worth this much depending on how many gavels you get. Because when I was in model Congress, I did not get that many awards. I got two awards at a very small conference and one gavel that I, to this day, don't think I deserved. And I think the chair kind of gave it as a, gave it to me as a way to kind of like teach a lesson to the other kids in the committee who are way more qualified and also way cockier than I was. Um, but all that aside, um, I'm, I don't know. My thoughts on this are just all, it's like, like if there was a comparison, my thoughts from this weekend is like, it's an, like a French impressionistic painting. Like everything blurs together and nothing really makes sense if you try to extrapolate from it too much. And yet it's beautiful if you look at it all together from a distance. Um, my kids put themselves in really challenging brand new positions. Um, Harvard Model Congress is special in that, like, you know, it's unique in that it has a lot of special programs. So usually when you go to Model Congress conferences, you play um a senator or a congressperson from the house or the senate you write bills you vote on bills you pass them it literally is like model congress right in that it models the united states congress but harvard model congress extends beyond that in that it has these special programs that serve to model other parts of government and so you have obviously you have the house and the senate but you also have you know presidential cabinet which is also a special program of other conferences but then you have supreme court but then you have things like west wing then you have things like national security council you have the g20 you have the world bank you have world health organization you have the u.n security council you have what else is there a whole bunch of other things historical committee um you have district court which is again the program that i did in high school for two years and so my students who up until this point had really only done like con congressional committees, right? House and Senate. The vast majority of them this time looked at the special programs. As I had told them, like, you know, I'd, you know, over almost to a fault, I was like, dude, special programs at this conference is what you want to be doing because you don't get this opportunity elsewhere. And, you know, knowing my kids, having taught this school for a while, I know that they have the tendency to want to play things safe. Um, you know, your typical sort of like, I know what I'm good at. And so I don't want to risk getting hurt. And so I want to just kind of stick with what I know. Um, but the vast majority of my kids this time, they're just like, yeah, um, I'll do West Wing. Yeah, I'll do UN Security Council. Yeah, I'll do all these things. Yeah, I'll do district court. Um, don't know what any of those things actually entail. Have no idea what the competition is like, but here's to trying something new, right? Um, and obviously being the, you know, person that I am, my first reaction is like, oh my goodness, I just sent them into the pits of hell like i i i don't know how u.n security council works i don't know how west wing works i did district court but like i wasn't an attorney for any of it i'm so how am i supposed to coach any of these kids right and this goes back to literally last week's episode when i was talking about how a lot of the times maybe this is just me but i feel like maybe it's not um i got a text from a friend just today about last week's episode she's also a teacher who said um 
those things that you said are things that teach other teachers feel all the time. And I'm like, and, and I'm just like, oh, good, great. So I'm not as incompetent and uh, imposter as I thought I was. But really, anyway, um, what I said last week was that, like, you know, as a teacher, you oftentimes feel like you put your students up to a challenge. And when the students fail to meet that challenge, when they fail in general, you feel your first reaction is like, I should have done something to prevent this from happening. I should have trained them better. I should have provided them with more tools. I should have prepared them better. Why didn't I, why couldn't I have done something to prevent my students' failure? And when I saw my students sign up for these brand new committees that I distinctly did not know how to train them on, my first instinct was to go look up like, you know, how West Wing works, how UN, like what my, my two kids in UN Security Council were Argentina and Senegal. And I'm like, okay, now I got to go study up on everything about Argentina and Senegal so I can prepare my kids, right? Looked at the district court cases and I was like, I guess I am studying case law for the next weekend. And then I, and then I was doing this, right? I was trying to just begin to enter this mindset. And then I stopped myself and I was like, how insane is this? thought to myself, I was hired to teach Chinese and I'm literally starting to abandon my actual, my actual like classes so that I can basically be 17 things, 17, 15 different coaches to my 15 different students who are all doing 15 different things at this conference. How insane is that? How irresponsible is that? And the thought occurred to me for a second that I was like, maybe I'm not trusting my kids enough. Maybe they are more than capable of preparing themselves for this conference without my help. The thought occurred, that thought occurred to me. And then, um, and it made me super nervous. The moment I thought that I was like, no, 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 no. If I, if I don't prepare my kids for this, I am literally failing them. I am literally not doing my job as a coach. Um, you know, what, what else I would be if they fail or they like become, (laughs) I don't know, intellectually and emotionally damaged as a result of this, it is my fault. I need to prepare them. And so I think I kind of zeroed in on the district court team, right? Team of six. And the only reason why I felt like I could do this was because it was the only committee that I had had personal experience in. And so I was just like, okay, focus my energy on the thing I know best. And I like, I think I like kind of really push them to a point that was a little unfair. I mean, I wasn't like demand. I don't think I was demanding too, too much of them, but I think I really underestimated what they were doing to prepare. And I kind of just, I don't know, kind of assumed the worst in some ways and expected that they did not understand the gravity and the, the literal lion's den that they were walking into. And it was very tiger tiger mom-ish of me, to be honest, like the way that I was looking at it. Cause, and I understand now how tiger parents feel, right? A lot of folks give, you know, Asian tiger parents a really hard time because it's kind of like, the assumption is that like, you know, these overbearing helicopter parents um, who push their kids to this extent, it's because like they're really, you know, vicariously living through their children. But really, I think what it is, is that like, as a parent, and I feel like the kind of Asian, you know, Confucian ethos kind of built into this a little bit, but I think it really is this fear that parents have that, um, you see their, your children kind of trying to figure things out on their own. And you're looking at that and you're like, I have the tools as someone with more life experience to help them avoid failure, right? Because it's not that failure is a terrible thing, but it can really do some, you know, it can really harm kids, right? And it can discourage them from wanting to try things ever again. It can really, yeah, it can, it, it's not just like, oh, you fail and you get back up. Like there are times where you see kids fail and they don't get back up. And as a teacher, as a parent, you look at that possibility and you're like, I need to do whatever it is in my power to help kids not get to that point of failure where they will, you know, harm themselves and not being able to 
you know, have the courage to try again. If it's within my power, then to ignore that when I have in the capability to fix things or prevent things from happening, it is my responsibility to protect my child in that way, right? And so I think I thought of my my, my six students in district court in the same way. Um, I, I really wanted to protect them, but I also knew that I could not overstep my bounds because otherwise I would really be overextending myself. And also they would probably find it super annoying. Um, I think they probably already found it super annoying. Um, and so I was already pulling back. And so as a result, when we walked into Wednesday, um, I, I joked around with them saying that like, you know, man, you guys are exuding some real nervous energy right now. I had my kids like we were walking through Boston and I had like my two decor kids behind me literally rehearsing through cross-examination questions as they were walking around. And these are like two of my most confident guys, right? Um, very, very capable, so smart, such good leaders and, and always a type that you you could always count on to be like, oh, these guys are fine in terms of prep. Like they've got it. And like, you know, they would say themselves, right? Never seen them exude that much nervous energy. But really for me, I was exuding the same thing because it was so much, there was so much uncertainty um, coming f- on my end as well. Like I, I didn't know how prepared they were. I didn't know what the other teams were because I was looking at the, the docket and I was looking at all these other schools. Some of them seemed familiar because I had like, you know, schools that I had competed against when I was in high school. Like, you know, H.B. Woodlawn was there. Coral Gables was there. Brantford High School obviously was there. And I remember that my kids went up against, were going to up, go, go up against H.B. Woodlawn. The moment I found that out, I texted them and I was like, those guys are good, right? And I'm just like, mm. thinking about that, I was like, maybe I shouldn't have said that because a lot can happen in 10 years. Maybe H.B. Woodlawn wasn't as good um, anymore. Anyway, right? A lot of nervous energy, right? I was making fun of the kids for it, but really it was coming from me. And the weekend went on and um, and I spent a lot of time in that D court room. You know, I, I think I think you could really have made a very fair argument that I was being a little maybe a little biased um, because I, I was I spent a lot of energy, you know, fussing over D court because I don't know. I think a part of my heart was left behind in that courtroom 10 years ago when I did D court. And then it was like coming back to it again 10 years later um, and seeing my kids kind of play that out and so anyway i'm gonna talk a lot about decor because i feel like a lot of how i feel about this weekend about all my kids was really manifest in that experience and so in the interest of kind of keeping things focused i'll just talk about that but um watch my kids um the moment they started their first case against hb woodlawn believe it or not that was their first case um remember watching them give their opening statements and do their direct uh, cross-examination because they were on defense that time. And then just thinking to myself, where did they learn how to do this? Where did they learn court procedure? Where did they learn how to like say, you know, permission to approach the bench? Where did they learn how to object? I didn't teach them any of these things. I mean, I brought in my high school friend, Gio, uh, from episode two, who was an attorney when we did district court um, and was an excellent attorney. And I dragged him in for like one evening because I was just so like nervous. And I was like, okay, guys, I can't help you with the attorney thing. But here's this random dude that you guys don't know. But just trust me, he's really good at this. Like, listen to him and do what he tells you to. And Gio, the poor man, was just kind of like, you know, oh, okay. Yeah. I'm just like, why is everyone? so much why do i have no chill right i have so much nervous energy when it comes to my kids and i'm i'm realizing that now um but i watched them in that first case and i was just like the competency the competency of of where they were at and the thing is i describe it as competency and not necessarily confidence because i remember going to them during when they were recessing and 
well, they would come to me and they'd be like, how are we doing? Are we doing okay? And I'm like, I, 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 I have no ground to be the judge of that because if I were in your shoes, I would not nearly be doing as well. So you tell me, guys, you tell me how you're doing. Um, I was by from that first night. And the thing is, is that like it wasn't they the, the schedule for the cases was literally they the conference had put their three cases at the first half of the entire conference. Like they had all their all their hearings jammed into the first few nights. No, no teenager is really prepared for that sort of pressure. And, and I just saw them win that first case and then go into the second case the next day, win that case and then have a, 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 like a crisis hearing where they had to take the case they had just won and redefend it in front of um, the Supreme Court, like the, the kids who were doing the Supreme Court program. Um, and these kids had no experience except for one of them. It's because no, no concept as to what a Supreme Court hearing was like, and then had to write their arguments in like five minutes sitting in the hallway of the Boston Sheridan. Um, yeah, and they won that too, right? Like it was just you look at that and you're like, I don't even know what's happening. I'm just so glad I get to see it happen in front of my very eyes. I was blown away, and then, and then, and then, and just seeing the kids maintain like okay i would say this like i remember when i was in d court there was a general vibe of basically a little context i don't know if this is true with other schools i don't know if this is true about hmc at large but i kind of tend to think that it is if only because this is my only frame of reference but at brantford high school um even as large as it is brantford high school does does a whole my alma mater does a whole ton of model congress conferences more than most schools do um, and there's a lot of kids who participate. So there's a lot of opportunities to participate in Model Congress when I was in high school. But even with all those different, all those opportunities, um, the kind of crowning achievement you could get as a Model Congress kid was being selected to do district court at Harvard Model Congress. It wasn't like you could, like my kids basically raised their hands and like, you know, elected to be in D court. But when I was in high school, district court was something that you worked towards like you saw upper class as a freshman you would see upperclassmen at harvard model congress as freshmen generally you didn't even get to go to harvard model congress it was like strictly a sophomore if you were capable sort of thing and then like beyond that and then you kind of had to like work your way through like kind of the you know crappy little committees to earn your spot on d court it was something that you had to earn and then once you had gotten there you kind of were model congress royalty um and so that was the kind of the context that I was coming into. And I think to a per- certain point, I think I don't think Bradford High School is alone in that because the thing is, like, you don't get to that point. You don't get to be a, d- a district court, a-, a good district court team without experience and without er- earning that spot. The kids who do district court, um, not even just at BHS, but at other schools, they're good. Um, they're so competent. It's really rare to see a bad district court team because the stakes are so high and it's so easy to if you are unprepared going into d court you are basically non-functional throughout the entire weekend and so you don't get a d court team that it isn't at least halfway competent um and then enter my kids who did not do any mock trial sort of thing um before d court uh two of the kids no three of the kids were doing model congress for the first time this year and yeah again going back to what i was saying before it was like looking at it on paper i'm just like i'm literally did i just set them up for disaster and grave disappointment but 
to see them just kill it and then um, still come at with come at this program with a sense of utter humility. Um, again, like I was saying before, given that at Brevard High School, if you're in decor, you're basically model Congress royalty, you get a little cocky um, because you know you're like good and you know that you've earned your spot there. You get a little cocky. And I don't think that's limited to my uh, alma mater. I think district court, when you look at it, you're basically kind of like taking your witnesses and then like basically putting on this huge show in front of the jury. And then you get to the opposing counsel's witnesses and you basically tear them apart that's basically district that's basically like the actual you know american legal system so it's really easy to get cocky it's really easy to look at the other team and be like man they suck or like um jury for another team that you're going to go up against and look at them and be like oh man they're terrible we're totally going to crush them right i remember that be kind of a bit of the ethos of district court in my high school experience um because it's just so easy like you're in high school right and and the thing is that comes out of again that same nervous energy you don't like you you do that you kind of in to put it you know unflatteringly you you tear other people down in order to cushion yourself from the blow of your own lack of self-esteem really um my kids had every right to kind of be negative about their experience because it was their first time and and the other teams did not hold back um but they walked out of every they walked out of their two their three wins like with utter humility like just be like they were happy but they were just kind of like oh my gosh how did that happen oh my gosh how did that happen i can't believe we won every time right and then and the thing is you look at that from an outsider i was talking to another the advisor of one of the teams they're up against and that advisor was like your kids are really really good and i'm just like thank you um so they were objectively very skilled and really good and and were well within the right to be kind of cocky right having won three cases um as first timers right you know if you if this were another universe you could any kid would be like yeah i'm just natural i'm just natural talented at this but my kids were just so so genuinely humble and earnest and always looking to improve right with every single thing and that's so rare i'm realizing um People talk a lot of crap about religiously affiliated schools. There's a lot of room for criticism um, on many angles. A lot of uh, criticism, having worked, again, obviously at a Christian school for six years, I feel like a lot of that criticism is a little unfair. Um, but one of the criticisms that people often launch against, you know, Christian school kids is that they are, you know, just really goody two shoes at best and um, holier than thou at worst. Uh, like they just, you know, try to project the image of being really good moral people, but like, you know, the whole classic Christians are hypocrites argument comes up right away. Right. And I think when we, my school enters in a competition like this, a conference like this, bearing the name that they do, the, the name of my school, it's not hard to find what it is. Um, many of you already know, but like, if you look at the name of our school, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty Christian. Uh, it's pretty blatantly Christian. And so, um, with that comes a lot of baggage and a lot of people make a lot of assumptions about how my kids might act or how they expect them to speak or behave or whatever. Um, and, and I think to a point, I think as I was kind of like guarding myself, bringing my kids into this new environment, I think a part of me also had some of those assumptions, to be honest. 
um, would my kids be too naive to, would they be able to be aggressive, right? Like, or would they just be kind of like, you know, too soft or whatever? Or even worse, would they actually be hypocritical? Would they actually be holier than thou in their committee? Would they look at these, you know, public school, secular school kids and be like, man, these guys are so unholy <laughs> or whatever, right? There's a common thread in this entire exercise, in this entire conversation. That, that common thread is me, again, I don't trust my kids enough. Um, out of fear that they would disappoint themselves, would let themselves down. Not that they would let me down, because I, I firmly believe this is a genuine thought that, like, I don't, I'm not vicariously living through my kids. I'm not disappointed or um, if they don't do well. I don't, my ego isn't on the same carriage as my kids' performance, but it's really more kind of like, I just don't want them to fail if I can do something to prevent it, because I don't want to hurt them. Um, and so therefore there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of distrust. There was a lot of distrust from me, um, because I was afraid that they wouldn't be able to compete against these really, really scary, smart kids, um, or, or would just be judged in some way that was unfair to them. It's a lot of fear. I feel like if you're a parent, maybe, I don't know, I'm not a parent, but if you're a parent, is this something you guys relate with? Um, I don't know. I'd love to know. But anyway, heading back to the conference. And so kids won three cases. Um, and then they come up to their fourth case where they had seen their opposing team. They were the jury for their opposing team. And they knew they were this team was really good. Um, wasn't there necessarily when they had, like, you know, were, had that nervous energy thing going on. And they were just really kind of like particularly amped up about this case because they knew what they were up against. But um, they fought that case really hard. They lost. Um, and I mean, like, you know, to be fair, they were talking to the author, the chair who wrote the case and the chair basically said like, you know, from their side, it was almost impossible to win. Um, but you know, that didn't discount the fact that the opposing team was also very, very sharp, very skilled, like raising objections, like crazy Their Their witnesses uh, were just really good. Their attorneys were really good. You know, all of that, it was not an easy case at all. And they lost. And after they lost, it was the first time I saw my kids cry, um, not because they lost, but because, you know, it wasn't like they were sore. They, they weren't like upset because they lost, but it was like to see like one kid started tearing up because I think they're just really overtired, really glad that it was over because this was like their last scheduled case or so they thought. Um, and they were just glad that all their work was just culminated here. You know, result was whatever, but it culminated there. They were done. I think that was part of the reason for the tears to start coming. One kid started tearing up and then they all started tearing up. And I, I remember just like standing beside them watching and over my six years at CHS, I've seen kids, I've seen plenty of kids cry. Um, but never had I seen tears come out of that situation where it was kind of like that, that kind of intense empathy, that contagious emotion where it was so clear from that moment that, they cried as a team you know like it, it, that synergy like I feel what you're feeling because we've been through so much together and immediately I went back to again my own experiences and be like yeah this is expected right decord is special in that way um but my kids also though what made them different from where I was was again that posture of humility um they, they they're crying because they were like genuinely connected with each other and really cared for each other in a way that I had not seen in really any sort of high school environment. Um, 
they didn't need me to be there to kind of like stoke the flame of empathy, right? Um, to, to lead the conversation, so to speak, that this all came from them. They knew what this meant to just them. That was, this was something shared between the six of them. And I was just lucky enough to see it. And I think it was at that moment that I realized this conference is building up to be something quite different. Um, so, uh, they lost that case, and then they went into the rest of the conference expecting to not have to do. They were just going to sit on the jury, chill out. I told them, I was, I told them, because, you know, typical me, right? I was just kind of like, okay, you're jury now, but you're still on, right? Like, you've got to be the best jury ever. And they're like, okay, mom. And because like, <laughs> this is who I am, right? Um, little did they know that, like, later that evening, uh, was it that evening? I don't remember. I think it was that evening. This was like probably, yeah, this is Saturday evening. Um, they were approached by the chair to, and they were asked, cause there were some like scheduling discrepancies. Um, cause like, you know, the thing with like district court, you need to have like the perfect sort of balance, logistical balance of like, um, you know, teams presenting the cases they were prepared to, to take, but also making sure that there was like a team to go up against them and making sure that there was like a jury. So some team that was, the, the, I, I don't want to be the one in charge of, you know, planning the logistics for this cause it seems like a nightmare, but, um, I think it was a logistical problem where they just kind of approached our kids and was like, hey, would you guys be okay with uh, trying um, your one of your old cases again? This was uh, a case that they had won the previous day, right? It would be the same side, nothing new. You've done this case before. Would you mind doing this again? Um, to which, you know, I, I would guess my kids probably say, yeah, sure. Uh, but then it was like, oh, but you're going up against the team that you just lost to, right? They would be, you guys would be on the defense which you've done before, and the other team would be on prosecution. And it's not the same team as the last time that you won against. It's the team that you lost against. I was thinking, and and so I didn't know about this until one of my students texted me and was like, hey, are you free for a call? Because they want us to do this thing, and we wanted to ask you first. And I'm just like, oh, does this require like a change in schedule? Is there like a thing that I would need to know logistically about? And I was just like, I was in the building then. I was just like, I'll just come over. And turns out that um, the reason why they wanted me there was because they were having kind of a difficult time deciding amongst themselves whether or not they wanted to take the case. I mean, logistically, it wasn't a problem, but it was more kind of like, do we want to put ourselves through this again? Right? Because for them, it was like, it's been a long weekend. And this is a case they've done before. It's not brand new, right? But it's against a team that they had lost against. And this would also have been the last session of the conference. And if they had lost again to this team and like, you know, brutally lost against this team, did they want to leave the conference on a sour note? All these things were just, they were think, things they were considering. Um, there were some kid, there were some in the team who were just like, I want to do this. And there were some in the team that were like, I really don't. And it wasn't a situation where it was like, oh, well, majority rules or, oh, well, we want to win an award and this is the chair. I think I would have thought this. And I think I told them this, like if it were them, if I were them, um, my thought would be like, okay, the chair is, this is the chair testing us, right? The chair has given us a challenge. Will we rise to the challenge? And if we rise to the challenge and do well, the best delegation award is ours. That's where my mind was. That was my, my, where my mind would have been, but that was not where their mind was. Um, because in their minds, they were looking out for each other and they were, considering you know whether or not they win or lose or win an award or whatever is of minimal importance to how they were feeling and whether or not they were doing a good enough job of caring and taking care of each other um that was what mattered most to them that was what w was going to hinge their decision what their decision was going to hit john like how 
okay everyone felt about moving forward with something like this. Man, I don't know if you guys, like, you know, those of you who are past college have interacted with teenagers before, but this doesn't usually happen. I mean, usually, like, kids will have, like, some, you know, make decisions under the guise of empathy or, like, under the guise of compromise. Um, but but teenagers, having been one myself, teenagers can be ridiculously selfish sometimes and, and try to, like, warp, like, you know, communicate or insist on their own opinions in a way that sounds really conciliatory, but is really just kind of them being pushy. My kids did not do that at all. Um, this was a decision that was 100% born out of care and consideration and love for each other. You don't find that with teenagers ever. Um, so that happened. And, and what, what really sealed the deal was like, you know, my kids being Christian school kids, you know, they're, they have the habit of praying before every soccer game, every volleyball match, every, every musical performance, every test, even like our teachers, I don't do this personally, but you know, teachers at our school, they will lead their kids in prayer before every test to which I'm, I remember seeing that and being like, man, that's so hokey. Like, like just give them time to take the test. Um, it's such a Christian school thing to do, but they're used to that sort of thing. Right. And so they would pray before every one of their cases together right and i would join with them if i was in the room and it just came so naturally to them and on the one hand i think on the one hand you know i think if you're not in that religious circle you might see this as this is huge power play to be honest be like you know this christian school okay they're praying literally right in front of us oh like it was huge power play but um knowing my kids i think they it wasn't because they were power play reasons it was because they genuinely could not function without it, you know? Um, this is not a cosmetic thing. This is not like, oh, it's habit. It was like, you could feel in that room. And the thing is, is that like, in that district court team, in Model Congress as a whole, and I'm so proud of the fact that our program is like this, Model Congress is not a, a, a club that, Model Congress, I think, at our school, deliberately attracts non-christian kids we have a lot of international students from china we have kids who like you know are a christian school just because they're you know in a safe environment i guess they didn't want to parents didn't want to send them to the local public school because the local public school environment wasn't great things of that nature and so and on that decourt team alone are also students who are in all different places in their faith right we had the student chaplain on the decourt team but we also had um you know professed atheists or agnostics on that team nonetheless all praying together, you know, for different reasons, I assume, but but they all equally found it to be of integral importance to what they were doing. Again, you see this with teenagers happen all the time? I, I don't. Um, and that's how you know you're witnessing something truly special from, um, I don't know, I, I feel like there's a lot you could say about Christian education. And, you know, if you're not a Christian, and you're walking to that room, it's really weird. Um, I think religion as a whole, if you're not a religious person, religion is super weird. Um, even as a religious person, I still sometimes think religion is super weird. And you do do things that you're like, objectively, this is this doesn't feel necessary. But in your gut, in your soul, you're like, I need to do this, right? We need to do this. And I think that is where that prayer comes from. It was, you know, those kids at that young age knowing like, this is a, this is a time where we need to do this. We need to pray. Um, we can't function without it, you know? 
Um, and so when they were coming down to the decision of whether or not they wanted to take on that extra case and really just kind of put their entire um, self-esteem on the line, basically, for their last conference, because for these kids, a lot of them are their seniors, last conference ever. This would be like their last memory of a committee session at Model Congress after like a three-year-long career or whatever. Um we prayed together. And and what was really cool about that moment is like we were all standing, I was there standing in the corridor. My old model congress advisor just happens to walk up in the hallway because his, you know, his kids are also in there. He comes up walking, walking up as we're having this moment. My kids are in tears. Um, great moment. And we're praying. I was just like, and I was like, he was standing there. I was like, I don't care. And I was like, we got to, I, you know, we got to pray. And then we, we did in that corner and my advisor this is so typical if you know who, who he is but he's like he just goes and snaps pictures of of my my, my our group as we're praying and he sent he sent them to me a little later on and and that's if you're looking on the show notes on the website that is the picture that he took and i that that to me for him to take that picture in that moment with those kids um man what a profound thing you know um, yeah. Anyway, they, the kids decide to take the case Sunday morning. Um, you know, it's Saturday night, Saturday night, I took all 15 kids into my, you know, way too large hotel room, advisor room. Um, we sit in a circle for two hours and we just, you know, I just tell them, you know, I'm, I'm usually super wordy when it comes to my students cause I can't shut up, uh, need to work on that. But I, let my students kind of, you know, say, hey, say whatever you want about this is your time to share your thoughts. I didn't give much instruction beyond that because I was working on my micromanaging habits. And um, what came, what was the atmosphere in that room, the words that came out of the kids was the most beautiful thing. Um, I've had moments like that as a high school student where you like are part of like, you know, a really special program, whether it be like theater, or model Congress, even I've had those moments before and those are moments you don't forget, but, um, there's something about, you know, you can say like Christian school kids get, you know, assumed to be super naive or whatever, but I found the exact opposite to be true. Cause the thing is like, when you spend that much time in religion, you spend that much time in a church environment, um, and you're a halfway thoughtful person, like all these kids are, you become hyper cognizant of the meta of the environment that you're in, right? Um, no kid goes to Christian school for 13 years and doesn't think twice about where they're at, why they're there, how they might have changed while they're there and what they might be missing as a result of why they're there. Christian school kids, right, are a really thoughtful bunch. I think that surprises a lot of people. And and I, I, I include myself in that. And I realize how wrong I was to be surprised at that. Um there's no, there's no like purpose in me repeating what happened in that room because it's, you know, for my kids and for them only. But it was one of those moments where you just wanted to bottle up the atmosphere and, you know, like, <laughs> like inject it in your veins and have it, you know, run through your body for the rest of your life. Because those moments, seeing your kids just be at their most genuine um, and at their most beautiful and at their most endearing, um, those are the moments that make you realize this is why you teach um you know teaching is a very technical exercise as i'm looking towards grad school and actually learning how to do this for real but um 
it always comes back to like, and, and again, you think back to your experiences as a student and you think about the adults in your life that invested in you. And really, very rarely will people say, yeah, I really valued that one, you know, that one Quizlet I took in, you know, like sixth grade social studies, whatever. Um, but it's like moments that don't feel like teaching that end up teaching you the most. And I think as teachers, sometimes you really struggle between like, okay, I have content to cover, but at the same time, in my back of my mind, I'm just like, these are not the moments that my students will remember and take with them and that will truly change their lives. And it's a really frustrating thing because you're just like, I have an educational duty to deliver content. And I also know that this is not what, well, this is not, this is not what matters the most to them. That's something that I will, I am still trying to work out on my own and trying to figure out how to really capitalize on the things that matter. I think my school being as small and as intimate and uh, close as it is and as Christian as it is, to be quite fair, um, you know, does a really great job in allowing teachers to give teachers space to do that with students to really invest in, put put that academics aside, honestly, to invest in those moments that matter. I don't know if that happens in a lot of other places. And I really wish that they did because um, those are the moments that Christian or not change people's lives um that kind of youth mentoring is something that is so ineffable and so hard to pin down but when it happens you know it's happening and that's what happened saturday night and um you know again like yeah just want to bottle everything up and just you know keep it with you forever um so Sunday morning happens. My kids do the case, um, the, the surprise case against the team that they lost before against, um, fought their hardest, did such a good job. Um, the case, even though they tried it twice, the, the second time they did it on Sunday was totally different from the way they did it the first time. And so it wasn't even just like they had a real advantage, like the points the other team brought up, they brought out case law that wasn't even that they had that the other team had done external research on they were just really well prepared and um so it was nothing less than a challenge for my kids as well and they lost that case too right it was just hard because like you win the case in one circumstance and lose it in another it's hard um but they walked away with from that experience just really good sports like like you you saw them go up to the chairs of the committee like not to schmooze not to suck up to them but like to because they're genuinely interested in their feedback and you know they were genuinely interested in their feedback um because they chose to get feedback even if it didn't matter and they're like they got feedback for their last court performance um with the full knowledge that like you know most of them were seniors who would never do a model congress ever again and they still wanted to get, they still wanted to know how they did in the eyes of, you know, this knowledgeable chair. That, hey, I mean, that kind of learner spirit is something that as a teacher, you just kind of wish every kid had. And they did it without prompting. And I'm just like, what in the world is happening in front of my eyes, right? I think that's just a great way to summarize the entire weekend is what in the world is that? What, what? Who are, who are you? What have you done with my kids? Um, and then you realize that's a stupid thing to say because these were your kids all along. You just chose not to see the greatness in them until they just shoved it in front of your face and forced you to accept it. And, and am I glad that they did? So, um, fast forward to closing ceremonies, fast forward to awards, which again, like I mentioned in my previous episode is the moment where I feel like I like, you know, shave off five years of my life because I'm so anxious um, for reasons I explained in that episode. Not great reasons now that, you know, this weekend is uh, in light of this weekend. But um, my kids took home 10 awards, like 15 kids came, 10 of them won awards. 
including that district court team who won best delegation. They beat out nine other teams. There are 10 teams total, all experienced, all really good, all really deserving of an award. But it was my kids who won best delegation. And again, coming from my context where district court being merely being in district court made you model Congress royalty and then winning best delegation, winning best decourt team basically makes you like model Congress emperor of the universe. Like you basically are God, God status at that point for that to be my kids. I like we saw on the projector team nine and I had momentarily forgotten which number we were until I saw next to in parentheses Christian Heritage School. And I thought none of my kids stood up because they, I don't think they knew it was them. (laughs) And not a single one of them was dry eyed as they walked up to the podium to get their award. And you live for moments like that, not because of the award, but like to see in their eyes, like the culmination of their hard work um, the manifestation of their friendship and teamwork, those are things you can't put a price on. Those are things that like you can, you know, you, you look at that gavel in your hand and you, you see not your own accomplishments, but the accomplishments, the memories, the bond of a team. Debate is so competitive and so cutthroat and district court is even more so. Because and it can be get really ugly because it's six people kind of you know eating some other team you know the the animosity is times six, but then you can take that animosity and turn it into kindness times six or compassion times six or love times six or you know radical empathy times six and that is exactly what my kids exemplified without even trying this weekend and what's awesome about a conference like hmc is that i think the chairs saw that they saw my kids they were not the most experienced there they were not the most confident they were not even necessarily the most competent or skilled but to have the chairs see that and reward it i think for my kids teaches them what matters in life. Not that they didn't know already, but it shows them this is the kind of thing that actually is worthwhile in this life. You know, again, debate can be super cutthroat and you can get super cocky and super arrogant. Um, think you're smarter than everyone else because that's honestly how you survive is confidence. Um, but then to have this experience turn that philosophy on its head for my kids to see how you know for a lot of them to cap off their careers in a circumstance where they saw the meaning of kindness and teamwork and compassion and family to prioritize above that like i have no words anymore um to describe these kids so um yeah i honestly can say this weekend um was one of the best weekends of my life right um not because, you know, I did anything. Like, I love doing Model Congress because I just get to sit back and watch and witness and witness them in committee and being awesome, but also getting to see them out of committee and getting to see them energized um, for stuff that matters so much. Not just the issues, like the issues, obviously, but also just invested in how they see themselves growing and how they see themselves challenged. Um, you see them at their most vulnerable sometimes. That's such a gift. Um, 
And, and like, I think as long as I'm a teacher, I'm always going to be chasing moments like that where you get to see kids, where they get to, where, where they, for whatever reason, entrust you with that vulnerability. Um, where, oh my gosh, like the fact that I don't want to overstate this because I think a lot of this is undeserved the way that they, um, that they spoke about me on Saturday night, but for a bunch of high school students to say that they trust you, um, to say that, oh my gosh, to, for for them to say that, like, you know, one student had said that, like, the reason why she joined Model Congress was because, like, she saw how I, like, exemplified the love of Christ in whatever. I'm just like, that had never occurred, that I would never have associated myself with those kind of terms, because I don't think I'm that loving of a person. Um, you realize how important it is to have people around you and that God puts people around you of all types to for him to communicate to you who you are. For me, that was my students. You know, I, I started out as a teacher being like, I have a responsibility to be the fixer, to be the problem solver, to protect them, um, to make sure that they didn't fail. Cause as if I had the power to do that. And in return, what I was shown was the exact opposite that um honestly it almost felt like they were the ones protecting me um it was a really hard week hard three weeks as you all know leading up to this conference um a lot of the stress that came out of that hard week was really because of this conference and um for it to culminate in something like this it's just i i don't it's it has a certain poetry to it it almost feels cliched and um at the same time and that's how you know that there is an author behind all of this. Um, none of this is coincidental. And to look at the beauty in that and to stop and to say, what is the greater story here? And so um, I end off this uh, this bonus episode that I really honestly thought was just going to be a 30-minute voice note and end up being this one-hour-long ramble. Um, <laughs> this is not a typical episode, guys, which is why it's a bonus. And so, and it's, and like I said at the very beginning, it's not for you, it's for me. So like, you know, thank you for indulging my, 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 uh, my voice note. But like, um, anyway, I, 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 like I said before, I, I restarted recording this episode earlier tonight and then something happened and then I deleted all of it and said I need to do this over again because it's a new energy and the thing that happened was I found out that I got into Stanford um which I can't even begin to wrap my mind around what the ramifications of that um you had mentioned I had mentioned before in some previous episode that I was applied to grad school with a really strong legitimate fear that my undergraduate GPA and performance was so poor that um, I would get in nowhere because that's the thing that happens like when, when you apply to like um, undergrad like there is such a thing as safety schools where you like you know know you're going to get in because it's like below where you your stats are when I applied to grad school I literally nothing was a safety school like I literally did not know where I was in terms of like it was it was kind of like you know I was I applied to like my um to UConn right which is like you know the only public university in my state who that had a Chinese licensure program like that was my, my only option that was a safety school I was terrified that even UConn wouldn't take me and I would literally have thrown about like $1,200 down the do- toilet um, and have wasted my time and my energy and also my self-esteem because then it'd be like okay literally where's my career gonna go after this um, I got into UConn 
and got into another school. And then um, I applied to Georgetown on a whim because I had just found out like one day, oh, they have like an education program. Sure, why not? Um, you know, and I did not expect to get in. And the moment I got into Georgetown was right at the tail end of a meeting that I was having with the kids who are going to Harvard Model Congress. I got the email exactly at the end of that meeting and they were the first ones to know. They're the first ones I told. Um, and and it just seemed right because they were the, they're the reason why I think I even had a spot at these at that school to begin with. And so when Stanford came out tonight, Stanford was the one that I was almost certain. Like I had that like, gut feeling that like, you know, there's uh, some other schools I saw. I was just like, oh, possible. Right. Especially since the first few, uh, like you know, acceptances started rolling in. I started looking at my other applications be like, mm, these are possibilities. I don't want to like, you know, bank too much on them, but it's possible. Um, Stanford was the one that I knew for a fact had would only take 70 something students. Um, it's like, you know, obviously top ranked school and an incredible program, incredible program. I, I like, it was like incredible in the sense that I was like, oh yeah, it's real cool for other people who go, not me cause I'm not getting in. And, um, the, uh, I had heard that like the, the letters for the, pro, for Stanford had gone on on Friday and I had gotten nothing and I was like, oh, I guess it's not working out. All right, that's fine. And um, as I was recording the first pass of this episode and, you know, not really able to place my words because I'm just, like super tired and I'm like getting sick and I could not make words. I've been subsisting on nothing but like simple carbs and coffee for the past week. Basically um, lost actually a lot of weight. Uh, but like see that email and I cried like a baby for 30 minutes because it was like not just the fear of not getting anywhere, getting in anywhere, but also all I could think about was my senior year of undergraduate where I had applied to all these things and got systematically rejected from one thing after another after another and feeling basically totally worthless. Um, holding my Wellesley degree in my hands and thinking to myself, this to me feels like it should have been hard fought. Like the fact that I graduated should have been a victory to me, and yet it still feels like somewhat of a failure because it seems like I, I, I graduated by default. You know that I didn't really earn this degree because I like barely made it. Um, and instead, for you know, in light of all those rejections from senior year of undergraduate, and accidentally finding myself at this school, teaching classes that I was not qualified to teach, leading programs that I was not qualified to lead, being put in charge and entrusted with things that I don't know why anyone would trust me with them. Um, and it leads to this. And it just, it's so like stupidly poetic that I don't even really know how to begin. It feels like I was, you know, my principal was the one who wrote my letter of recommendation. So he was the first person outside of my family that I told about Stanford. And I remember I just told him, I was like, this entire weekend feels like the plot to a really cliched movie. It feels too good to be true. Um, because there is a poetry in all of this. Um, for, for, for me to be reminded in the most explicit and clear terms of what it really means to teach what it, not just what it means to teach but what it means to um to invest to do life with um the most beautiful kinds of souls at the most beautiful age um and then to have experienced my channeling really well as really my own insecurities through my students and then to have those insecurities totally 
lifted out of the way and crushed and thrown out and deemed illegitimate after, you know, an acceptance doesn't really, okay, to be clear, right? Like, you know, where you get accepted to college, especially for those of you who are seniors out there, high school seniors, where you get accepted to college does not, does not dictate who you are, right? Like, you cannot, okay, like, I, I am the first person to say that, like, college admissions, particularly undergrad college admissions, is a total crapshoot, and, like, it does not define who you are, but, um, sometimes you just need someone to confirm to you that you are good. Um, I'm someone who needs that a lot. And I think the times in which I have felt that the least are the times where I've also doubted my students the most and trusted them the least. And God does a, does a thing where um, he, he notices your doubt and shows you in as stupidly blatant a way as possible how wrong you are. And you look at how wrong you are and you're like, man, I'm glad that I am not the one in charge here. I am not the one making the decisions because if I did, um, some people would really lose out because of me. So, um, anyway, like I said, this is a kind of, this is not, this, this episode doesn't count. It's a bonus. Like, you know, if y'all made it this far, congratulations. Um, but this is just really long, long love letter to, uh, the students, not just the ones that, not just D-Court, not just the 15 that went to HMC, um, but this is the culmination of so, so much. I don't know if I'm going to stand for next year. I think there's a big part of me that is really scared of California as a, as a, as a, you know, existential topic. Um, (laughs) that's a topic for another time why I have a irrational fear of California. Um, but it's just a lot to kind of, (laughs) to kind of absorb all in one weekend, but just figured it's a monumental time in this one person's life. And the great thing about having a podcast is that you get to share all those things with total strangers. Um, And so thank you for being a part of this journey. We'll be back with our usual scheduling programming next week. um, As I am looking over the, all the questions that you guys sent, they're all really good questions. Um, And so part of the reason why I actually also didn't want to record that episode right after I came back home on Sunday was because there were just too much to think about and I wouldn't have done them justice if I was rushing to put them together. So, um, episode is coming a little late to you it's coming along a little rambly ish um but i hope you know my goal with this podcast is not really to be too polished right um but it's to connect with you and uh to hopefully find um a place in your life where you can have a friend who uh connects with things in your life that you find important and meaningful and so anyway thanks for listening um and sharing in this moment with me and with that i will see you next week bye